who can indeed compare to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the ruler of all the universe who would come and die for us who were his enemies, who did not love you, who did not follow you. You were a king and we were the rebels, but you loved us. Lord Christ left heaven taking on the form of man and died for us so we might be reconciled to God, that we may be brought into the kingdom, not just as citizens of a kingdom, but Lord, you have adopted us as sons and as daughters. Lord, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we are called the children of God. And Lord, we recognize today that all this is true because Christ rose from the dead. But it could not be true. All the claims of Christ could not be true if he was not risen. Lord, so today is a day that we rejoice with great hope and expectation that all that he said happened is happening and all that will happen will happen yet still. Lord, we look forward to the day that you will come back reigning as a risen Savior. So we exalt you and we adore you. We give you all the praise that you deserve. Open our hearts as we come before your word, that we come listening as listening to the King of Kings. Lord, prick our hearts by your spirit today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning I'm going to be sharing from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. We've already, in our reading this morning, covered the first 12 verses. And in those 12 verses it speaks of the ladies going to the tomb, finding it empty, the angels speaking to them to go to the disciples and tell them that he is risen. As they go, they... And they do exactly what they were told to do. They talk to the, the, they tell the disciples. The disciples received it, I felt, uh, when you read it in a rather peculiar way, they received it, it says, as idle tales. And I looked up this word just to, to try to get uh, the idea of it. And in, 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 I think it's Smith's Dictionary, Bible Dictionary, it actually says twaddle, which is the idea of just something that just, just doesn't have much value to it. It's just so much talk. And... Part of this is, unfortunately, the culture of the time. Women were not uh, considered valid testifiers in the court of law and of serious things. And, uh, and so they, they looked at that, that women are given to very subjective considerations of things. And it was not unlike, I don't think, in a sense, Maybe the way some of the people today that are either liberal or, or what, uh, that are not Christian at all, but they look at the idea of the resurrection and they think of it as a hallucination or, or something that somebody saw, and they, they kind of just washed it off. They just didn't think like it could possibly happen. And I thought that was so harsh. But then I realized just a few days before what they had seen. 
They'd seen him die. They saw it happen. They knew he had been buried. And it was that idea, in a sense, of how could he possibly be alive. We would like to think that as much time as the disciples had spent with them, that they had had it figured out by now. But you know, right up to the last minute when Jesus ascended, they still didn't quite get it. Because when Jesus was ascending, just before he ascended, they they said, are we going to go into Jerusalem now with the idea that we're going to kick the Romans out and take over? And (laughs) Jesus said, no, not yet. (laughs) You know, Instead, what I want you to do is just to, to go back in, and, and to the upper room, basically, to get together and to pray and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And, and, and it will, at that point, basically letting them know through the power of the Holy Spirit, it will come together and you will understand. But even here, we see this, this sense of, of doubt, not sure. At best, coming from the ladies, an unclear testimony for them. And then we get into that, the next section uh, where uh, they have the, the men on the road to Emmaus. Two men leaving Jerusalem the first day of the week, the day of the resurrection, going to a small city a few miles away, And all of a sudden, walking with them, there's a man who's asking them what's going on. They kind of like approach it like, where have you been? Jesus uh, comes up and he says, well, you know, what what has happened? And they explain that, that all that they have vested themselves in has now been crucified and buried. They don't know what to do. And we find get to verse 27 of chapter 24 where it says that he spoke to them, Jesus spoke to them very distinctly of all the things of the prophets and Moses, that these things must happen, they must come to pass. He was letting them see through scripture as it is written. How many times did Jesus say that? As it is written. And here, when he finally reveals himself in such a way that they they were sure of who they were talking to. It says in in verse uh, uh, 33 that 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 same hour, these two men immediately got up and, and literally ran back to Jerusalem to find the disciples and tell them what had happened. Now, when they found the disciples, this is where we come into this, verse 33 and 34 uh, it says that the same hour they returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 of those who were with them and gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Now, as you read that carefully, it's not these men that said that. It's the disciples that said that. The Lord has risen indeed. By the way, if I were to say Christ has risen, what would you say? You see where it comes from. The Lord is risen indeed. He appeared to Peter. Now, this is a transition, folks. <laughs> this isn't the same way they responded to the previous witnesses. Of course, you know, you know, at this point they're saying, oh, yes, Peter. You know, 
accountable, credible witness. He is risen indeed. This was before the, the two men from Emmaus had uh, anything to say. Uh, they were kind of blown away, I would imagine. But then it says that they go on and add to their testimony to it and what had happened. This is the section then I want to pick up on this morning, starting with verse 36. As they were talking about these things, and that would be the disciples and, and the, those that were with them, which means more than the disciples themselves, plus the two men from Emmaus. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, my feet, that it is I myself? Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, were, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Before the disciples had had time to consider everything that had come together just before them, what Peter had seen, what the two men from the road of Maze were saying, Jesus is in their midst. John tells us that the, 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 the rooms were shut, the doors were shut, and the implication is that the, is shut and, and secured. And there was a reason for that. John tells us that they were in fear. Even though Jesus had told them not to, <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and at the point that he had removed them from the, the issue by saying, you don't want these men, you only want me, they still, all they could see was Jesus had been crucified and buried, and they saw themselves as the obvious ones who would be with him. And you know what, Peter, when he was accused of, of being with Jesus, he denied it. They were in, in fear of their lives. So here they are in this room, and it says, you know, just in a sense, all of the sudden, Jesus himself stood among them. And then he just said simply, peace to you. The picture peace to you is basically, some of you are familiar with the, uh, the word shalom. It's basically what he was saying. He wasn't saying anything spectacular here. He was giving them a common greeting that they heard amongst themselves. He just said, peace, be, peace to you, shalom. I, you know, what you would say is, is a common greeting anytime you would have come into the room with another group of Jews. Their response is amazing. It says they were startled and frightened. Startled and frightened. Another parallel words, if you will, alarmed and scared. Why? It says very clearly, they thought he was a spirit. Or, literally, they thought he was a ghost. Even though 
Peter had seen him. They were not prepared for this. And they really didn't understand the idea of, of seeing him as clearly as they did. And they don't know what to do. Still resting in their minds is the crucifixion. This is the last they had seen of him. And now he's standing in their midst, and he's saying, Shalom. Hi, how are things going? Peace, uh, peace on you, you know? So he asks them, by the way, does this sound familiar when they said they were afraid they thought he was a ghost? Does anybody have a recollection of another time that this happened? Yeah, when he walked on the water in Matthew. It says very clearly in Matthew chapter 14, as, as Jesus was walking on the water, they looked out and they thought he was a, a ghost coming at them, and they were afraid. And Jesus said, don't be afraid there as well. And so here he's, he questions them. And there's a little bit of a chiding in this, if you will. He says, why are you troubled? Why, have doubts, why are the doubts arising in you? And I looked up both these words, trouble and doubts, and, and it was an interesting combination of things. The idea of, of troubled, if you, if you ever heard the idea of the phrase troubled waters, troubled waters, there's waters that are out of control and churning and this type of thing. And the word doubts here is to be confused as in a circular kind of reasoning. You just can't get it straight. And so I came up with this, this is my definition of this troubled and doubts is agitated water spinning in confusion. He says, why are you acting like agitated water spinning in confusion? Now, understand Jesus knows their hearts. What's in them again is how can this be? He was dead. He was laid in the tomb. The tomb was sealed. There were guards. How can this be? So Jesus, rather than rebuking them or chiding them any further, he says, see my hands? I don't know how we did it, but you know, we pulled up his robe a little bit or whatever it is, but he said, see my feet? You know what they, he was showing them. He wasn't just showing them his physical hands and his feet. He was showing them his scars. See, it's me. And yeah, the one crucified, it's me. It is I myself. I love that phrase because it goes along with the way it started here. He himself appeared amidst them. I, myself, and here. It's such a double kind of picture of emphasis that who it is, it is who you think it is. It's really me. It's not a messenger. <laughs> it's not a specter. It's not a spirit. It's not a representative of some kind. It's I, myself, in your presence. And then he says, touch me and see. The word touch here is to handle. That's another translation some of them use, to handle. But I was looking for something that gave me a clearer picture. And in one of the definitions, it says to verify by contact. Have you ever had anything that you've had to touch to just see? Now, I was even looking at some of these flowers. Some of these flowers are so beautiful that you almost wonder if they're not these perfect artificial copies, and you, you realize, no, they're for real. They're just so beautiful. But once you touch them, you know. You can feel the difference. She says, 
handle me. Touch me. Validate. What an awesome picture to say, you know. You've seen my hands, you've seen my feet. That's not enough. You can touch, feel. I am real. And then he goes on to say, a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Very definite phrase, flesh and bones. We're more common to use the what term? Flesh and blood, you know. But here, the term is flesh and bones because of the real picture that you know Peter is, or uh, that, that Luke is trying to get to us, is the reality that there's structure to his body. It can be seen, it can be felt. When you shook hands, you could feel it. If you if you were to touch him, you would feel it. You would say, "This is real." Now he said something about the Father, who is spirit. At one point, he said, "The Father is not flesh and bone." But Jesus, he's saying. I'm here. I'm physically in your presence. I myself am here, flesh and bone. You can see it, come and handle it, and then see my hands and my feet as well. And so I'm thinking to myself, what did they see then? What did they touch? Well, it was just the resurrected body of Jesus. And you notice how I put that, the resurrected body of Jesus, not the resurrected spirit or specter, or ghost, but the resurrected body of Jesus. He'd gone into the tomb with an earthly body that had been buried. I will put it this way, his Adamic body, a body that's just like yours and mine, we inherited from Adam. What's wrong with these bodies? They are subject to all kinds of of pain and suffering and disease, uh, and ultimately they are going to do what? They're going to die, okay? That is the body that went into the tomb. Jesus' resurrection is a heavenly body. It's not an earthly body anymore. I mean, there there, there were some pretty interesting things that, that he did. So it's not an earthly body anymore. He's not restricted by earthly physics, if you will. What's the one thing we observed in this particular account? They're in a closed-up room, doors likely locked, and all of a sudden he's in their presence. But then he turns around, flesh and bone. There's something beyond in this new heavenly body. And so I put here, what did they, the things that, that were going on? He's visible. He's flesh and bone. He can be touched. He can be handled. But verse 41 says, they still disbelieved. But notice it doesn't say disbelieved by itself. It says, disbelieved for joy. I don't know, disbelieved and joy almost start to get close to that idea of an oxymoron. <laughs> you know, they disbelieved joyfully. <laughs> uh, you know, so what is going on here? And I found out that it's, well, it's kind of a, what they call a colloquialism, something that was common phrase. Today we would say, man, this is beyond belief. But they were still excited about it. But, but this, is the, this is too good to be true. I just can't believe this. Quite literally, though, it's, it's confused 
joy as they stood, because it says they were marveling, confused joy as they stood in awe of what they were seeing. So this idea of disbelief here is, is, isn't a full picture of denial or, or anything like that. It was more of a, we've been wrestling with this. We've been moving towards it. Uh, I, I looked at it as, as they were abandoning their unbelief, okay, and moving towards their belief. Here was this picture of, of oh, my goodness. I it's, it's, how can it be? It, it's real. How can it be? Wow! This is something to get excited about. It's a joyous thing. Uh, look, it, to be in awe. They disbelieved for joy and were marveling at what they saw. And I find this again interesting. The woman came, shared this. Nah, can't be true. Peter came, shared it, and they said, okay, he is risen. But they still didn't have the picture of the body of Christ, the flesh and the bones. The two men come and they say, again, you know, what they had experienced. And so now there's, there's a growing belief. And then right then and there, he's in their midst, and immediately this, this confusion how do I assess this? How do I put this into everything that I have seen and try to, to put it to, to picture here? But now here he is in my presence, and it's a physical body beyond belief, too amazing to, 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 to grasp. Jesus brings it right back down to earth. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't chide them and say, Oh, come on, you guys of little faith. You know, he didn't do any of the things that he could have done. He just says, you got anything to eat? Do you realize how important this is? Luke's account here is extremely important as you grasp this. Do you have anything to eat? What was he telling them? This I myself who are in your midst who is flesh and bone that you can see and touch. I'd like some food, please. And it doesn't say what, how they reacted as much as they, they just they went and got him some fish. <laughs> they had some broiled fish, they, go, they went and got him some broiled fish. And what did he do? He ate it. It's a real body. Real supernatural in some way, in a way that's beyond our comprehension, a heavenly body. We can go, but it's, it's tangible touch. But he still had the scars, identifying marks of his sacrifice. Anything to eat? Sure, here's some broiled fish. Jesus took it and he ate it. So now we have this picture. We see him, flesh and bone. He can be touched. He can be handled, validated that he's there, and he eats. <laughs> Luke's account is clear. Physical, bodily, supernatural, resurrected body in the flesh, all of those terms to grasp a hold of because this is the controversy today so frequently expressed. It was just his spirit that resurrected 
Do you know how many Christian groups hold, or call themselves Christian groups anyway, hold to that idea that it's just his spirit that was resurrected? If that is the case, then Luke has lied to us. Somebody says, no, he didn't mean it. It was just a, you know, it was just overstatement or whatever. No, Luke made it perfectly clear from the testimonies and the witnesses that he interviewed that this is what they saw, this is what happened, and as a result, he records it and puts it down. According to Scripture, we say with the idea of inspiration through the Holy Spirit, therefore, this picture is either right or it's wrong. <laughs> it's a bodily, physical resurrection. A lot of people turn around and say, no, it's just a good story. In fact, there was a, a, a person who did this uh, in, in reference to uh, back east in one city and, and, and just asking people about Easter. And it was interesting, uh, Keller picked up on this and used a little bit of it in a, in a sermon. Uh, but it was, the idea was, well, what is Easter? And they said, oh, it's a good story. It's a powerful story to tell us that there's hope after darkness. Well, there's truth in that. It tells us that there are new beginnings. There's truth in that. Life after death, we go into the light. <laughs> How many times have you, has anybody you know, seen pictures, movies, you know, you know, of, of, of people going off into the light, you know, kind of some mystic kind of you know, ethereal type of heaven kind of spirit thing. You know? but, but when asked if they took it literally, by far and away the majority said no. Just a good story to tell us that there's hope. Luke's story is either true or it's a lie because he emphasizes everything that you could possibly emphasize here to say a physical bodily resurrection. got a feeling the gentleman that you ran across in Germany when he said the first time you saw this outside of a church, he is risen, and your response, they were jogging. <laughs> Something tells me he, he was bold enough in his faith that he was thinking about a risen Christ, not just the teachings of Christ or, 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 or some mystic picture or spirit. While Jesus was still with them, he confirmed all that he had said, all that was happening again, like he did in 27 of, of, of chapter, verse 27 of chapter 24, spoke of Moses and the prophets, and he shared with them again that these things all had to happen, his death, his burial, his resurrection, to bring about salvation. And then he says something interesting in verse 45. You know, let's go to verse 44 just to keep it in context. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. He opened their minds. John 
chapter 20, verse 27 puts it uh, very succinctly. It says that he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit and they understood. In this final picture, he says, you are witnesses. And what God has done is to record all of this for us that we might be witnesses as well and have the confidence as well. And I've had people, they'll say, well, if I could just see him and touch him, if I could just see a miracle. Well, if you really understand the fall of man and you kind of grasp it, every one of us sitting in here is a miracle in the sense of God's grace and not bringing instant judgment which we deserve. Instead, he looks ahead to the plan that would bring grace. Grace in such a way that it would be more than just another breath, but it would look ahead to eternity. And as we look at the body of Christ, and we can go through with, with what Paul teaches later on, if you wanted to, in, in, in 1 Corinthians as well, and we realize that we'll be with him in these bodies that are of flesh and bone. I, I, I heard it put this way. Uh, when we walk, we'll actually feel the ground, you know, in heaven. It's not, you know, we'll actually touch things. We'll actually see things. We'll actually be a part of things. It will be a physical experience for eternity for all who have confessed Christ, for all who have believed in their heart. I wrote here as a footnote for me this morning. Can you imagine what their first communion together was like? You realize that, that Jesus uses the, the, the communion as the picture of his death, burial, and resurrection. He shared with them at that last supper that he would not share this meal again until the marriage feast, which I, is, is the second coming and the celebration of the bride with Christ, the church with Christ. He said, this is something special I leave behind for you that often as you do it to remember me, that I came in the flesh, that I died on the cross, that I was buried, I poured out my blood that you might be saved. To purchase the covenant of grace, he poured out his blood. And he says he's coming again. And what we see clearly from what Lucas shared with us this morning in the flesh and that we will be resurrected and meet him in the flesh and we will share eternity together with him in a supernatural heavenly body made to last forever and we have that picture of, of revelation no more sorrow no more grief all of that to look ahead to all of that is celebrated in communion ask the ushers to come uh, to Pass the emblems out, hold them until we've all been served, and we'll share together.
Brad, could you put that chorus back up again? The the uh, the the next uh, the one you, um, once you're into me. That's it. No, that was it. You had it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just didn't go far enough. Your blood's washed away my sin, Jesus. Thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied, Jesus. Thank you. But the picture. Once you're in a me, now seated at your table. That's the picture for us this morning. We were the enemy of Christ. How? Our sin simply separated us from Christ. doesn't matter how big, how small it missed the mark, it separated us. And as a result, all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Paul writes all of this in Romans. He says the free gift of life comes through Jesus Christ. The gift of life. And as a result, we're invited to sit at the table. It's a day to sit at the communion table, but it's a symbol of the marriage feast as well. And so as we celebrate the resurrection this morning, we celebrate all that Christ has done for us. At the supper before his crucifixion, the night before, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. He passed it to the disciples, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this, every one of you, in remembrance of me. same meal, the same evening, taking the cup of wine, holding it up to them, symbolic picture as he pointed out to them, this is my blood, the symbol of my blood poured out for you to purchase the covenant, referring to the covenant of grace. He asked us as often as we would drink this together to do it in remembrance of him until he comes again. Let us share. Father, again this morning we come with grateful hearts. The song, Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, but now seated at your table, thank you. We know that it is your grace that you purchased through your death on the cross. But we don't have just that picture. I think of the, the, the sermon that got so much notoriety on a good Friday. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. The day of Christ's death and it is finished, the words on the cross, but the resurrection is coming. And as we sit with the confidence of what Luke writes, we receive this picture of Jesus in their midst. I myself, he told them, flesh and bone, you can see me, you can touch me. And he ate with all for the purpose of giving us the confidence today to rest in your grace and the hope that you have given us. We worship you. We thank you. We celebrate together your resurrection in Jesus' name.